thing that comes to mind when I say the next generation? What do you think? What happens in your heart? What goes on? What, what passes your mind? For some of you, um, you know, it's, it's maybe a little bit of excitement. For some of you, it's, it's some faith. It's some belief. It's, it's believing that something great is going to happen in the future generations. For some of you, you just think, oh, man, I'm just getting too old for any of this. Uh, some of you may have like a, a little bit of apathy. Some of you may be even a little frustrated or concerned. You know, you, oh, this next generation, I don't know. Concerned about them. And we are, right? We, we actually are concerned about them. We're concerned about what's happening. We're concerned about the work ethic of the next generation. And some of you are still railing at millennials. Like, oh, these millennials, these darn millennials, not working hard. Look, millennials are almost 40 years old, okay, some of them. So... <laughs> So give them a break, like the lay off, all right? Stop doing that. If you're gonna complain, at least complain about the right people, okay? I'm gonna help you with that this morning. We're a little concerned about their morality. We're concerned about their habits and their lifestyles. We're, we're concerned about, we're especially concerned about their use of tech and screen time and all those things. And there's good reasons that we think about those types of things. But the truth is, they actually have their concerns about you as well. <laughs> They, they, you know, hold on now. I don't want to hear this. They, they have their own concerns. They have their own concerns. Oh, they're stuck in their ways, and they won't listen, and they, they, won't, they won't think about anything new, or, or they might say things like, they ruined the economy. <laughs> they ruined the world, and they passed it on to us. I didn't say that. They said that. Okay, I didn't, I didn't say it. I didn't say it, but you've probably heard things like that said from time to time. The truth is, every generation has deep concerns about the next generation. Historians and psychologists, they've, they've documented this cycle over and over and over again. There's a sociologist named David Finkelor, and he refers to this phenomenon, this concern about the next generation. He coined it juvenoia, as in, you've got a case of juvenoia. <laughs> I'm worried about the juveniles. I am concerned and have fear about the juveniles. And we, parents and grandparents and friends and others, we've completely forgotten that we endured all the same attacks that we're giving to them. They didn't like your hair either. They didn't like your rock and roll music. They didn't like that. They didn't think you worked hard. You had a bad work ethic is what they said. And yet here's what we're all doing. We all still, we just give it to them all the time. In my day, we didn't have no automobiles. We, we had to walk to school in the snow. Uphill! Yeah, yeah you, you know it because you've done it. You know it because you give it to them. Totally forgetting that your elders did the exact same thing to you. George Orwell said famously, every generation imagines itself to be more intelligent than the one that went before it and wiser than the one that comes after it. We all do it. Now in 1904, G. Stanley Hall wrote a book called Adolescence. And he was perhaps one of America's first kind of child psychologists. And he's really trying to define what adolescence was for the first time. And so some people, some people believe that in writing this book, he actually did all of us a disservice. Because he described adolescence in totally negative terms. In 1904, he writes this book and he says that, that adolescence means that they're just going through, and these are his words, storm and stress. Everybody say storm. storm. Say stress. Storm and stress, all negative. He said, 
They're emotionally volatile. They're moody. They're unpredictable. They're rebellious. And I know you're thinking, well, that doesn't sound too inaccurate. But since that time, we have been telling teenagers, since that time, that book, we've been telling teenagers, this is how you act. We've been feeding them that, saying this is what and who you are. And I don't know if you know this, but often people tend to live into our expectations of them. So I get it, I understand it, I, I know that, that rebellion is a thing, I understand that, that uh, you know, kids are going through their struggle for independence, I've worked with teenagers for a long time. I know there's a struggle for their own independence and that means that you represent their, their uh, dependence and so they push back on you. I get that there's real things, but maybe we should change the way we talk about it. So Stanley Hall actually came to these conclusions not by scientific study, it was a hobby that he had on the side. He had a side hobby of a, 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 a sub-theory of evolution called recapitulation. Recapitulation says it's the idea that any individual organism will, by, will have by evolutionary necessity developmental life stages that mirror the development of the species over time. Welcome to Back to School Sunday, everybody. You're like, what does that mean? It essentially means that if you look at the development of humans over time, he believed that an individual human being will have the same developmental stages. It will mirror the stages of the species overall. So when he looked at us, he characterized it this way. He said, there are pre-humans, there are pre-humans, there are pre-humans, and those are children. Then he said, there was pre-humans, then came the savages. There are savages, and the savages are the teenagers. And then, and then finally, finally he said there are civilized men, and that is all of us, right? Civilized men and women, and that is us. This was the theory of recapitulation. So, so an individual human has to go through these phases, has to have a pre-human phase, has to have a savage phase, has to have a civilized man face, hopefully, at the end of the day. He believed that's how it works. Now, here's the thing. Recapitulation was thoroughly debunked within 20 years. It was not true. It was a false theory. It wasn't a reality. But this is still our universally understood description of the next generation. This is what we say. Everybody, it doesn't have to be that way. I understand that there are issues. I understand that there's difficulties. I understand that there's some rebellion. I understand all the normal things, but we don't have to continue to feed it. We can speak about it in a different way. And I say at one chapel, in our homes, in our families, we just decide we're not just gonna go all in on this false theory. So if we don't open our arms to them, who's gonna do it? If we, as one chapel, don't embrace them and decide to walk with them and help to disciple them, who else is going to do it? It is our responsibility. It is our job. Unless you and I, and the previous generations, decide to embrace them and walk with them, it's not going to happen. So who are we talking about? We should clarify this really quick. Uh, I'm going to show you some of the generations. And honestly, uh, this is from Barna, a Christian research group. Very, uh, very popular, uh, very well studied. They're an incredible organization. Uh, if you look this up, otherwise, this might be off by a year or two. But I'm going to use Barna for our purposes today. So John, you can throw all those up there if you've got them. So here's who we're talking about. Let's start down at the bottom. We're going to start with the elders, prior, born prior to 1946. Anybody in the room? <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> boomers are the next. You got any boomers around? 
Are you nervous? Are you scared? I'm not gonna make you come up here and do motions. Like, are there boomers in the room? Hi, boomers. Okay, okay, boomer. Um, <laughs> I did not mean that. Then there's Gen X, 1965 to 1983. <laughs> All right. They were latchkey kids. They didn't get a lot of attention growing up, so, so they're... <laughs> Wow, it really shows. Then there's the Millennials, 1984. Love that, love that. Got a bad rap, got a really bad rap. But, but we love them and appreciate them. Then there's Gen Z, 99 to 2015. Gen Z is who most of you think about when you talk about the next generation, perhaps. And then Gen Alpha coming on the scene, 2016 to present. That's birth of seven years. That's some of these guys that were leading worship today. Now, just really quick, I just, want you, I just want you, if you would, I just want you to look at that list of people, and I want you to think about it for a second. I want you to think about the life events that happened in each one of those generations. I want you to think about the scientific developments that happened in each one of those generations. I want you to think about the journey that each one of them have been through and the tragedies that they've experienced and, and all the things that have gone on. And here's what we can't do. We can't over-focus deep down on one of these generations. We don't want to do that. We don't want to do that as a church. We believe in young people. We do believe we need to prioritize young people here and there, but that doesn't mean they're the most important. What we, need, what we know is, is that all of these generations deeply need each other. We need to hear from and learn from and be accepted by one another. That means if you're Gen Alpha and Gen Z, you need to open up your mind and heart and let some of these older folks speak some wisdom into you. <laughs> you like that part. <laughs> That means if you're a boomer or an, an elder Gen Xer, that means, or a geriatric millennial is actually a thing. If you're one of them, you need to learn, that's for another time, you need to learn how to watch them worship on a stage and go, I need to recapture a little bit of that zeal for Jesus in my life. We deeply need each other. So the discussion around Gen Z and Gen Alpha is, is largely negative today, and there are reasons to be concerned, everybody. I could go on for all morning with some difficult statistics. I'm gonna give you a few. Nearly two-thirds of young adults growing up in church will drop off after high school. That's not a, that's not a new statistic. You've probably heard something like that before. Uh, Barna says that 70% will lose their faith during their freshman year of college. 70% of kids that grow up in churches like these go to college, find a professor who is on the attack, and they give up. 1.2 million kids from Christian homes will leave their faith in 2023. Say that one more time. 1.2 million kids from Christian homes will leave their faith in 2023. And then COVID came along, honestly, and really just kind of decimated a generation. It was already difficult, and, but now because of COVID and three years of insanity, we've got, we've got more isolation than perhaps we've ever had before. We have an epidemic of anxiety in the next generation. We've got rising screen time issues and, and, uh, on phones and all of that stuff. But here's what David Kinneman says. He's, for, he's the president of Barna. He says, teenagers, in their research, he found that teenagers are some of the most religiously active Americans. American 20-somethings are the least religiously active. So religious teenagers are active, and you can see it. They're coming to tag, they're involved, they're doing stuff, and then something happens in the 20s where it just drops off. 
He's been tracking people for over 15 years, and this is what he sees. What has happened? Well, there has been a failure to disciple a generation. That's what's happened. That we, as, not, not as one chapel, I think in many ways we've actually done a pretty good job in the fight. Can always do better. But the church at large has failed to disciple a generation. Failed to pass on what has been to make sure it happens now. They just haven't been given what they need to thrive. And honestly, no parent was ready for the last three years, really the last 10 years, and the rise of secularism and the access through screens of all the things that was coming into the home. No parent was prepared for that. Instead, I think what's happened is young people have looked at the church at large and honestly, we just, if I can be a little bit transparent and honest today, have seen scandals, have seen abuses happen of people in the church from time to time. Kind of grew up in consumer-driven church a little bit. You know, so we're just trying to give you everything that you need and, and just, just trying to take care of you, get you what you want. And that hasn't necessarily been helpful. They've grown up in youth groups that are focused on pizza and games. I'm really thankful for TAG students that, that in our student ministries, they're reading the Bible every week. They're talking about the Bible every week. They're in small groups with leaders, digging down to figure out what the Bible says. They're focused in on worship, trying to teach how to worship Jesus. And you saw some of that evidenced here today. I'm thankful for our TAG student leaders, aren't you? I'm thankful for our TAG pastors, aren't you? But there's been a failure to pass it on in the church at large. They've been poorly discipled. And some of them have been fooled into believing that they have to leave the church in order to go find a relationship with Jesus. It's crazy. Our goal here is for young people to become resilient disciples. That's a term from David Kinnaman of Barna. Uh, resilient disciples, I want to I kind of describe it to you. These are Christians who attend church at least monthly and engage with their church more than just attending worship service. So not just popping in. They trust firmly in the authority of the Bible A resilient disciple is someone who is committed to Jesus personally and affirms that he was crucified and raised from the dead to conquer sin and death. Come on, somebody. Four, express desire to transform the broader society as an outcome of their faith. But here's the problem. Only 10% of Christian 20-somethings in America have that kind of faith today. We can do something about this. We can't fix the whole thing, but we can do something about this here. Here's what I'm saying. This is the rough part. We are witnessing what is perhaps the biggest faith decline in American history. We are sitting in the middle of it. But y'all, the story is not finished. The last chapter has not been written. There are more chapters to write and we can decide with the guidance of the Holy Spirit what those chapters are gonna say at one chapel. Gen Z is not an angry atheistic generation that's shaking their fist at God. That's kind of what happened in my generation a little bit. It's the rise of neo-atheists and shaking their fists at God and angry. That's not what Gen Z is. Gen Z just doesn't think that it's important to look up anymore. They don't really care about looking up. Their lives are so full of other things. They don't hate God. They don't care about God. Thankfully, that's not the case here in our church. But what that means is there's a massive door. In fact, Barna says that 15 to 20 years ago, eight out of 10 people would probably turn you down if you invited them to church. But today, eight out of 10 would say yes to you if you would invite them to church because they're open. They don't hate God, they just don't think it's important. And we can show them that he is. So what do we do? How do we turn this around? Everybody says there's a problem, but what I wanna say to you today is what we have is an opportunity. We have opportunity today and we can't let it pass us by. So 
So Nehemiah, it's, Nehemiah is not the last book of the Old Testament, but it's the last historical book of the Old Testament, right? It's the last chronological book of the story. Malachi, which is the last book, was a contemporary with Nehemiah. So in the book of Nehemiah, Israel is in Babylonian captivity due to their disobedience. Jerusalem has been decimated, walls torn down. It was a total mess. And Nehemiah is a cupbearer to the king. And finally, he asks the king if he can go back and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And the king allows him to go back and do this with some folks. So he goes back and begins to build. Now, what I'm going to read is not what this passage means. It's not what it's saying. But I still think that we can glean from it and draw some conclusions today, which I'm going to do. So Nehemiah 4.14 says, After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. This is where we are today. We're taking a look around at things. We're looking and it looks bad. The walls are down. The city has been destroyed. There's trouble everywhere. Evil can come in. But don't be afraid, one chapel. Don't be afraid We can't respond in fear. We can't give up. We can't say it doesn't matter. We can't say there's nothing we can do. Don't be afraid. Don't react. Don't overreact. Don't speak negatively about it. Because you can remember the Lord. And he is great and awesome. He's the redeemer. He has a purpose and a plan for the next generation. He's going to have the final word. And he's greater than all the problems that we're facing today. He is great and he is awesome. And fight for your families. Moms and dads, fight for your families. Career people, single folks, fight for the young people in our church. Friends, fight for them. Kids, teenagers, college students, it's time for us to fight for them. So I actually have somebody here that's gonna help us fight and gonna answer a few difficult questions for the next generation. Because there's lots of questions. I presented a bunch today. I actually have some questions that we're gonna ask. And we're really blessed today to have the honor of a world-renowned doctor here to help us answer some of the difficult questions of life. So you're gonna be blown away by the wisdom that you're gonna hear today. Everybody, would you please welcome Dr. Know-It-All to the stage. Just give him a big, give, give Dr. Know-It-All a big hand. We're really glad to have you here. Doctor, thank you for showing up. We really appreciate you. I've got just a few questions uh, from the audience that I'm gonna ask you today, and I would love you just to just give us your best wisdom on how to handle these issues that we're facing today. We'll, we'll start out kind of small and, and we'll, we'll kind of go from there. This is from Jamal. Jamal is in third grade and Jamal asks, what is the secret to getting straight A's? The secret to getting straight A's is listening with your ears. <laughs> wow. Wow, I mean, I did not expect, I did not expect to to receive such nuggets of wisdom this morning. So we're going to go to Monica. Monica's a kindergartner. Monica would like to know, what does mom say, why does mom say that I need to eat all of my vegetables? Dr. Know-it-all. The secret to eating all vegetables is being awake. And hungry. (laughs) I just, I hope that you're writing these down. I hope that you're writing these down. Awake and hungry, 
And you can do that, Monica. I hope that was helpful for you. Uh, this is from Abby, who's in sixth grade. Abby says, who has the coolest outfits, Spider-Man or Barbie? Who has the coolest outfits, is it Spider-Man or Barbie? Barbie. <laughs> That's enough said. Um, and finally, from Jake, who's a high school sophomore, Jake says, and this is really important and what many people uh, are wondering today, how do you know that she's the one? Jake wants to know, Dr. Know-it-all, how do you know that she's the one? I'll let you guys handle this. <laughs> <laughs> the way you know if she the has <laughs> many family characteristics mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> wow I mean honestly I'm gonna have to chew on that one for a little while because I think there's so much nuggets of wisdom in there everyone we've been so blessed today would you please give a big thank you to Dr. Know-it-all thank you Dr. Know-it-all really appreciate you well, I feel like we could just go home now, but I'm going to go ahead and finish. Um, I, uh, it's time to fight for a generation, and this school year, I just want to ask you one chapel if you would join together with us and fight for the next generation. Fight for their hearts, fight for their lives. And so actually, honestly, I, just, I want to ask you to do three things with us over the course of this year. And I, I want to ask everybody to do this. This is not a parenting message. This is not about raising godly kids in the home this morning. We all have a role to play in this fight. And I'm asking that all of us would join in. And look, I, I'm not talking about joining the culture war. I'm not talking about fighting that fight right now. There are things that we need to face. Yes, but what I'm talking about this morning is fighting for the hearts and minds and souls of a generation. And joining us in that fight. And so three things that I want everybody to do. I am literally asking everybody to do these three things. Number one, pray for the next generation. We tend to complain a lot. Those darn millennials tend to get upset. Why are they running in church? They're spilling things on the carpet. Can I, just, can I just be honest with you? You ruin a lot more carpet than the next generation. I just want to tell you. I just want to be really clear. Your coffee ruins a lot more carpet squares. <laughs> Oh, you didn't know that. Well, there's some info for you this morning. We tend to complain, but when was the last time you let that run you into the prayer closet? When was the last time you let your fears or your concerns drive you into the prayer closet to pray for the next generation? To pray that God would pour out his Holy Spirit in the classrooms on Sunday morning on One Chapel Kids as they worship and as they study the scriptures. To, to pray about tag students, that the Spirit of God would meet them and encourage them for, for leaders who are helping to disciple them, praying for them to have wisdom as they help you navigate the very difficult things that are going on in this generation. How many times have you allowed that to push you into prayer? How many times have you stopped and added to your prayer list that parents would have the grace and the wisdom to handle all the onslaught of this current season that we're in? So I'm gonna give you three ways to pray for them this morning. And I want, you to, I want to encourage you to write them down. They're in the message notes if you want to take them with you. I want you to pray that they would fear and reverence God. Pray that young people would fear and reverence God. Psalm 34, 11 says, come my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. We've lost a little bit, I think, 
of that awe, a little bit of that fear. We've lost a little bit of that reverence, and it's time for us once more to look up and remember that he is great and awesome. And pray that young people would understand that. Scripture says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Of wisdom. So pray that they would have the fear of the Lord. Parents, pray for your kids that they would have a healthy reverence and awe for God. Then secondly, pray that they would know God better. I pray this over my kids pretty much every day. God, give them wisdom. God, help them. Reveal yourself to them so they can know you. This is Ephesians 1.17. I keep asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Write that verse down. Pray it over your kids if you're a parent, but pray it over the students of one chapel if you don't have kids. I've taught... Uh, uh, wait, not yet. I, I, I want you to join us in praying. I want you to join us in asking that God would reveal himself. Give them the spirit of wisdom. Reveal himself to them as they're worshiping. Reveal himself to them as they're reading the scriptures in the morning on their own, perhaps. Show up in their lives. Spirit of wisdom and revelation so that they can know him better. And then third, I want you to pray for God to bring them godly friends and influences. You already know how important this is. You know how much this matters. Proverbs 13, 20 says, walk with the wise and you'll become what? Wise. A companion of fools suffers harm. I've taught students for years this idea that if you'll show me your friends, I'll show you your future. And it's true. I can look at the people you surround yourself with and I can pretty accurately predict what your life is gonna look like because you become like the people that you spend the most time with. You become like the people you spend the most time with. Some people, someone, someone said, there's an author that said, you are the average of the five people that you surround yourself with. So you can take stock of yourself right now and figure out, all right, how am I really doing? Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Don't be a companion to fools. So let's pray for the young people of this church. God, send good people into their lives. Send good, godly friends into their lives. God, you know the friend that's not so godly. Remove them from their lives. <laughs> Pull them out. Separate that somehow and give us wisdom. You should pray prayers like that. Amen. Send people into my kids' lives. Adults, people who will love and support them and help me speak into their lives. By the way, all those prayers that I just mentioned, those are really good prayers to just pray for you too. Amen. It's not just for the next generation. So I'm gonna ask you, one chapel, will you pray for the next generation? Number two, will you prioritize church? Oh, I'm gonna get in trouble now. I'm gonna cause problems now. So if you wanna write an email, it's david.compos at onechapel.com. He would love to answer all of your coming concerns in the next moment. Hey, everybody, the next generation, they need you to take them to church. They need you to show up. Especially dads, they need you to show up. They need to see you in the room, hands extended, passionately worshiping God. They need to see you open the scriptures and read it. They need to see you leave the house and go to your small group during the week. They need to see that stuff happening. Honestly, that'll do so much. I know, I know what you're thinking. Oh, sure, here's a pastor telling me I gotta go to church. That makes a lot of sense. When's the tithing sermon? That's next week, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Look, I'm not the lead pastor of this church. I'm not trying to build a big church. I'm trying to build young people. And one of the ways that we do this is we gotta show up. We gotta be here. Look, online church is great, and if you're on today, we love you, we support you, we're so glad that you're here, but there's nothing like being in the room, there's just not. 
And honestly, what you need is not just a 30-minute sermon that you get to digest. You need a hug in the lobby. You need somebody to check in on you and say, how's it going? Really, let me pray for you. I want to walk with you through that difficult circumstance. I want to help you become the disciple that God called you to be. That's what we all need. Going to need to wrap up. Luke 4, 16 says, Jesus went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. Look, y'all, if Jesus went to church, you should go to church. <laughs> I'm just saying. I know it's a synagogue. I know that's not what we're doing here, but, but Jesus regularly went and gathered. <laughs> you should do the same. You know Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. All the more as you see the day approaching. Most of you know Eric Liddell. Eric Liddell is from that movie Chariots of Fire. You may remember, dun, 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 dun. I'm gonna do it for this time. Dun, 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 dun. No. Eric Liddell, is, he's known for running fast. He, there's a quote attributed to him, and it was something to the tune of, you know, God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. But did you know that actually that's, some people say that's not actually what he said, but what he did say was God made me for China. Because what you may not know about Eric Liddell's story beyond the Olympics is that for the last half of his life, he was a missionary. And so Eric Liddell, he's the guy that in 1924 in the Olympics, he refused to run the events because it was scheduled on a Sunday. Eric Liddell would not run if it was happening on a Sunday. Now imagine this, saying, Sunday is the Lord's day. Sunday is the day that we gather and we go to church. We gather with the family. We gather with the body of Christ. Imagine saying, that's just what we do. And you organize your life around that idea instead of kids' sports. David.compos at onechapel.com. <laughs> Look, can we just be honest for a second? We, we put recreation. We do put sports. We put, we put comfort. We put pancakes sometimes. We put rest in the place of God, or at least gathering with his body. We just do. And then we marvel at why our kids don't prioritize God when they leave. I don't know how it happened. I don't know what went wrong. Look, I've said this to kids for a long time, to, 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 to student leaders and to, to tag leaders for a lot of years. What you do in moderation, they're going to do in excess. What you do a little, they're going to do a lot. And I've heard it said this way too. Uh, skip church parents, don't raise go-to-church kids. It just, it just doesn't happen that way. Look, I know there's vacations. I know there's things. I, I know that there's rest needed sometimes. I'm not talking about legalism, but what I'm hitting at is just that we've just decided it doesn't matter that much, and it does. And one way that we can help them is to bring them, show up and be here. Because what's gonna happen is I'm gonna give you sheets that you can take home, that you can talk about with your kids. I'm gonna give you videos that you can watch together and have discussions. We're gonna hand things over to you so that you can actually lead your kids at home and do the real work of discipleship at home, which is actually the most important thing that you can do. Because a few hours a year with the church will not do it. It has to happen at home. More on that later. And then finally, I want to ask you, 
if you would participate in the development of the next generation. Why don't you guys come on up? We're gonna get ready to pray here. Participate in the development of the next generation. Pray for them, prioritize the church, and participate in the development. If you're 15, I wanna invite you to come serve in One Chapel Kids. Come serve. Uh, In fact, in two weeks, on September 9th, we're having our fall launch with all of our kids' leaders. You're all invited. (laughs) Come and get plugged in. That's an action step you can take September 9th. If you're a college student or 20-something or or, or more, if you're in your career, uh, go serve in tag students. Get trained up and and disciple somebody in the next generation. If you're older, if you're married, if you're retired, if you're living that life, come do either of those things. Or, Or ask a single person here in the room. Ask a single geriatric millennial to, you need to know what that means, don't you? I don't have time. Ask them to dinner at your house. Share your home and life with them. Share community with them. Share the scriptures with them. Tell them the lessons that you've learned over your life. Participate in their development. Find a way to join us. 2 Timothy 3.14 says, As for you, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of because you know those from who you learned it. You know the people. You lived life with the people. They helped you. They instructed you. They corrected you when you were wrong. You know them. You had relationship with them, and it's how you became who you are. This is what we want. So three three quick things before we pray. Number one, if you want to participate, be an example to them. Look, they don't need you to be the smartest person. They don't need you to be the cool person. In fact, can I just give you a a tip? Nobody wants to see the 67-year-old guy in skinny jeans that are ripped. Like, nobody wants that. I just, nobody wants it. So don't, don't try I'm not cool enough to go hang out with teenagers. That's probably true, and that's great. They don't want you to try. They don't want you to be a tryhard. They just want you to show up and love them and tell them what you've experienced and what Jesus has done in your life. They don't need you to be their best friend. They need you to show them the way. And what this means, be an example, what this means is we got to get our lives in order, everybody. we got to deal with our stuff. we got to take care of our issues from our family of origin. We gotta wrestle through the addictions that we're still struggling with. We gotta take care of business and allow Jesus to settle the issues of our heart so that we can be an example to the next generation. Let's do the work. Come to Wednesday night. Come, when we start here in a couple weeks, come. Get formed, get shaped, get healed. Teach them how to love Jesus. I wanna encourage you to be available for them. Just be available. Don't leave on a Sunday morning. Don't just take off. Well, I gotta get to Golden Corral. That, descri- that really described a, a generation, didn't it? <laughs> what, what if you didn't rush off to lunch? But there's gonna be lines. What's more important? What if you stayed around and when kids dismiss out of class and they come and they're running through the auditorium instead of, hey, what if you just stopped and said, hey, what'd you learn in class today? What did you learn about Jesus today? Or if that's too creepy, and it might be. <laughs> and mom and dads are like, uh, we're gonna go now. But what if, what if you just decided, as they're running through, it's just to say, hey, 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 young man, hey, young man, I just want you to know, we here at One Chapel, we think you're great. Have a great day. That's an easy start. Be available to them. 
Again, invite somebody over to your house. Don't, don't, don't run off. Ask a college student or, or to go to dinner or go to coffee. What if kids at One Chapel believed that the adults of One Chapel really loved and wanted them here? Make a difference. And finally, I just wanna ask you to be positive about them. Let's not, let's not let One Chapel be a place that points out all the negatives. You know what, most of the time, we all know the bad things that we've done anyway. They don't need to be reminded of it today. Let's face the negatives head on, but let's call out the positives. This is something that I've done for all of my next generation career, has been to call out the things in students. Show up to a room full of teenagers and say, you are exceptional. You show up week after week on a Wednesday night when you could be hanging out with friends or going to the mall. Nobody goes to the mall anymore. That's how old I am. <laughs> hanging out, scrolling social media, whatever it is. You don't have to be here. And you showed up and you worshiped with passion. And I don't know a lot of teenagers that worship like you worship. You're exceptional. I love you. God loves you. You're incredible. I believe in you. You can do the same thing. Let's be positive. Romans 4, 17 says, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. That's what our God does. He calls into being things that were not and we can participate with him in doing that work. Why don't you stand up with me? Look everybody, it doesn't matter how well we ran the race. It doesn't matter. What matters is whether or not we can pass it off. And the danger is in the handoff. In a race, the danger's in the handoff because if you drop that baton, you're gonna lose the race. We can't afford to drop the baton. We gotta pass it off to them. And so to begin that work here today, we're gonna pray for all of our students. And so if you're with your family, I want you to gather around them real quick, put your hands on them, hug them. If you're not with them, if you're, if you're going back to college and, and you need somebody and maybe your family's not here today, I just want, just, just look around. Everybody look. Look for students. There we go. Look for kids. Gather up with them. Are there any college students who are like, hey man, I'm all alone, need a little help, a little help here? Anybody? Just let me know because we just, we want to surround you and pray for you. Anybody? Anybody? Okay. Great. Everybody have somebody. All right. You guys want to come up here? Just right here. You don't have to come up on the stage. Just come right here. Yeah, just right here. Just right here. This is, these are two of my kids. <laughs> Sorry, they're really mad about this right now. And over lunch, I'm going to hear about it. <laughs> Golden Corral, I'll make it up to you at Golden Corral. Everybody, let's dig in for a second. Will you fight with us? This is more than a school year. This is bigger. We want to pray for the school year, but we need more. So Heavenly Father... In the name of Jesus, we lift up the next generation to you. We wanna thank you for the gift of our kids, that you've blessed and graced this church with amazing young people. Incredible, God-fearing young people. What an honor it is to be with them and to steward them in their lives. Father, today, in Jesus' name, we're asking for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit on them. Would you forgive us? Forgive us for dropping the ball, not passing the baton, but today we wanna to make a commitment, God. We wanna fight. We want a Holy Spirit fight. We want you to fill us up so that we can help make a difference in the next generation. So Father, we lift up these kids, these students, 
these college students, asking you to fill them now, give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that they can know you better. It will be the only thing that will sustain them. Trouble will come, persecution will happen, difficulties will arise, but if they know you, they can withstand it. So God, would you help us? Help us to help them know you. And would you reveal yourself to all of them in power? Father, would you give them awe and reverence for you? Give them awe and reverence for you and for your kingdom and the work that you wanna do. Help them to remember how great and awesome you are. And let our church services and kids services and, and student services, let them reveal how great and wonderful and powerful you are. Lord, in the name of Jesus, give them awe and reverence. And Lord, we pray that this school year, that you would surround them with incredible friendships. Surround them with people that will help them follow you and not pull you away. God, there are some of those friendships that we're aware of that we don't think are good. And we're asking you to help them, help our kids make good decisions and say no. Withstand the pressure, withstand the draw, withstand the peer pressure and the insecurity and say, no, I don't think this is for me. God, would you begin to separate the relationships that are harmful by your work and would you bring relationships that are great and profitable to help them follow Jesus? Father, we pray that this school year that you would send them with passion and fire and grace. Help them to study well, study to show themselves approved unto God, to learn well, to work hard, to face the challenges. God, we pray that you would help them to be a light and shining example in their school of what you want to do in that school. Help them not to bow down, but help them to rise up and lead strong in Jesus' name. Fill them with your Holy Spirit and send them into dark places to make a difference. Father, we pray that you would bless every single student in here. The grace of God, the power of God, the life of God to have an amazing year becoming who you've called them to be, growing in discipleship, becoming more like Jesus. Father, we bless them. We bless every kid going into preschool, to, to, to elementary, God, to middle school and high school, into college and beyond, asking your blessing in the name of Jesus. We bless them, protect them, guard and guide them, Protect them from evil, just like you taught us to pray. Deliver them from evil. Lord, we thank you for it, and we look with anticipation. And now, Father, we just pray for every administrator, every teacher, every person going back into those classrooms, that you would empower and fill and grace them to do an incredible job leading our kids. They're in a difficult season. Give them the resources. Give them the tools. Give them the strength they need to make this an incredible year. We love you, we bless you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. And everybody said a really good? Amen. Amen. Come on, can we thank God, everybody? That's really, really awesome.